Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of Department of Danger by Jack Lancer. Volume 7, Chapter 18, Tricks at the Tower A sightseeing tour sounds charming, said Chris, but then almost anything would be compared to sitting in the safe deposit box here. You'd like a bit of a wash-up first, I expect, Buttram remarked and beckoned to an armed guard who was standing in the hall. Oh, by the way, he added to Chris, don't bother putting on your shirt. Chris was escorted down the hall to a bathroom, the guard keeping him covered from behind. When they returned to the cell, Buttram pulled from his vest pocket a roll of tape and a small metal device about the size of a pillbox and taped it to Chris's chest. What's this for? Chris asked. It's a bomb, actually. Clever little rig. Small, but quite powerful enough to kill you. It's designed to be detonated by radio signal. Pamela will be carrying a tiny transmitter, which can trigger the thing at a moment's notice. I see. If I try cutting up rough, then... Boom? Exactly. Things made to implode like a bazooka charge. Concentrate the blast. Blow a hole right through you, I'm afraid but not apt to harm anyone else. My, how thoughtful of you, said Chris. And just how many times has Toad tried to kill me? Well, let's see here. Buttram counted on his fingers. Four, if I recall rightly. That booby-trap telephone in your hotel room. Then the rabid rat. A needle-gun camera, the changing of the guard. Also, two of my men spotted you one night in a car and tried to get you. The colonel frowned thoughtfully and ran a fingertip across the bristles of his upper lip. I missed five times to stop and think about it. Oh, and how was that? In Hyde Park yesterday. One of our agents spotted you and would have done the job then and there if you hadn't gotten the wind up. So that explained Agatha's buck-toothed disguise. The old girl must have spotted the toad agent and was trying to warn Chris off. He put on his shirt, knotted his tie, and donned his blazer. Well, shall we away then? The guard accompanied the young couple down to the garage. Pamela led the way to a dashing open sports car, a sleek red Gia, and took the wheel. Chris slid in on the other side. The guard pressed a button opening a door in one wall, and they rolled out into a tunnel. Aren't you afraid I may do something desperate? Chris asked. Don't try it, said Pamela. I can trigger that bomb without even taking my hands off the wheel. The tunnel continued for about 200 yards, and then the car rolled up a ramp and into another garage. From there, they emerged into the street. Looking around, Chris guessed they were in Hampstead, a London suburb. Gloomily, he reminded himself that his wristwatch bleep signal over the emergency transmit channel the night before would have been cut off as soon as the van entered the tunnel. The arrangement had been that if he and Pamela left the West Museum together, Geronimo and Spice would follow the signal in their taxi, 
using the small loop antenna direction finder affixed to one of their wristwatches. But the darkness and the fog would have made their task doubly difficult, and once the signal cut out, any likelihood of them finding Buttram's headquarters was small indeed. Still, there's always the odd chance, Chris told himself with dogged hope. My watch did bleep from the surgery for a little while, and of course there was always the shirt-button radio. The car sped across London. Presently, London Bridge loomed on their right over the Thames River. Then the Tower Bridge, and flanking it on the waterfront, the grim, dirty, grey-white Tower of London. Pamela parked, and they walked across the square to buy admission tickets. Forgive me if I seem nosy, Chris asked, but why exactly are we here? Well, darling, this is a famous old heap of history. A must for every tourist, said Pamela. Surely you've heard the spot where they did all those beheadings, Anne Boleyn, the Earl of Essex, and that lot? Chris nodded and wondered. Was Toad using him as a decoy for some purpose? They crossed the moat and passed over the traitor's gate. Then they went up the Wakefield Tower for a look at the crown jewels. The glittering royal ornaments were displayed in a tall, eight-sided glass case in the center of the chamber. Jewel-studded crowns and scepters and swords. The queen's orb. Even tankards and salt cellars were encrusted with gems. Chris saw Pamela furtively attach a tiny gadget to the wall as they walked slowly around the display case with the other spectators. What was that? he whispered. Another bomb? Ask me no questions and you won't go boom. Afterwards, the two walked up the bloody tower where Anne Boleyn's ghost supposedly roamed at night, carrying her head under her arm. Then they sauntered around the grassy enclosure. I think we've soaked up enough history for one morning, don't you? said Pamela. Chris shrugged. They went back out across the moat to their car. A folded sheet of paper was tucked under the windshield wiper. Pamela plucked it out and unfolded it. After a glance, handed it to Chris. It said, Look at the black limousine across the street. You are both covered. Walk toward it and keep your hands in plain sight. Chris looked. The limousine was over there all right. Its rear windows were curtained, but the uniformed chauffeur smiled and touched his cap. His left hand was resting on the wheel. Something peeped out from under his gloved hand, and it seemed to be aimed in their direction. Is that a gun he's holding? murmured Pamela. It's not a pea shooter, said Chris. I think we'd better go over there. The back door of the limousine swung open, and a bushy mustache and a toothy grin peered out at them. Do come in, won't you? invited Ringay. He, too, was armed. Pamela got in, then Chris. A glass panel slid open in the partition separating the back seat from the driver's seat. Now hold out your hands, please, said Ringay. You first, dear. Then the young man... The chauffeur reached back and handcuffed Pamela and Chris together, while Ringay kept them covered. Then Ringay slipped black elastic blindfolds over their heads. May I ask how you knew to be here? Pamela inquired. Trailed you all the way from Hampstead. I'm surprised a smart girl like you didn't notice. But I suppose you were chatting gaily with our young Mr. Cool. Limousine started off. 
Chris sensed they were heading southward over the tower bridge. After a long ride, the car stopped. Getting out, Chris caught a whiff of lilacs and greenery and the faint twittering of birds. They were somewhere in the suburbs, no doubt. The two young prisoners were herded into a building and seated side by side in what felt like a sofa. Then their blindfolds were removed and Ringay left. Chris's eyes widened. They were in a pleasantly furnished drawing room, but what more immediately fixed his attention was a stout, horsey figure looming before them. Agatha, Duchess of Soho. Don't tell me you're working for Drakoff, he gasped in amazement. I am Drakoff, young man, she said in her deep, hoarse voice. Lady Drakoff, some call me. No gold lorgnette or bifocals this time, just her own two beady eyes, cold and hard as diamond drills. No buck teeth, either. Chris took a deep breath and settled back on the sofa. Well, in that case, here I am, handcuffs and all. Now that we've finally gotten together, what's this information of great importance you have for me? Something about my father, I hope. Madame Drakoff was carrying an English lady's walking stick. She slapped it casually across her open palm. We'll have some information from you first. You can start by explaining how you came to be so chummy with Toad. Toad, Chris echoed. You mean that, that international spy ring or crime syndicate? That's what I mean. Lusting, for instance, one of their top dons. What were you doing at his place in Hatton Garden Tuesday night? Before I left the States, I got a message from someone named Nikos advising me to visit Lustig in London. It was all very mysterious. I thought maybe he could tell me something about Dad, too. Only he was in no shape to talk when I got there, so I had to scram. But I guess you know all about that if you read the papers. Oh, I read the papers, especially the personal columns. That's how I saw your ad mentioning rare insects. Chris nodded. The message from Nico said to use that as a password. It sounded as if more than one person was involved. So after I started dodging the law, I inserted that personal notice, hoping Lustig's friends might help me. Lady Drakoff's eyes remained cold. Quite a yarn. I might have swallowed it too if I didn't find you keeping company with this toad dolly. Chris's jaw dropped open in faked astonishment. Toad Dolly? Are you kidding me? Her uncle's a friend of your boy Pavani's. Then I ran into Pamela at a disco and we, well, we sort of fell for each other. She fixed me up with a place to hide out at her uncle's house. Colonel Butchon, sonny boy, is the chief of British Toad. Still, you might be simple enough to be taken in. Though I frankly doubt it from the way you and your chum handled Piveni. How do you know so much about Toad? Chris asked innocently. It happens when the same business. One has to know one's competition. By same business, you mean espionage, I suppose? Chris said. Well, if you learned anything from my father, let's hear it. And incidentally, why didn't you contact me right away at the Thackeray Arms Hotel? Because we found out a toad man had been snooping around the room we reserved for you there. So we decided to lie low and keep a watch on you till we found out 
what was what. I see. So our meeting at the restaurant wasn't just an accident? You were sizing me up? Lady Drakoff nodded. You were trailed from the time you left the hotel. I slipped into the restaurant behind you, just long enough to order a cup of tea and drop that fly in your soup as the waiter passed my table. Chris looked puzzled. What is all this jazz about insects? An act you put on for cover? Not quite. If you're all that ignorant, maybe your little girlfriend can enlighten you. She prodded Pamela with her stick and added, Turns on to something, you see. Something big. A formula for a new weapon of biological warfare. Hmm, sweetie? And it has to do with insects, judging from one or two clues I've picked up. Ah, I'm beginning to get the picture. Chris snapped his fingers. Pavenny's landlady gave me an address he'd left in his room. A gunsmith shop. That's where I first met Pamela's uncle. If he's chief of British Toad, as you say, maybe you were sending Pavetti to meet him there? To talk about this formula, right? Lady Drakoff fixed him with her gimlet eyes again. You're getting smarter. And the Grey Humber that trailed me to the rooming house. Was that one of your men? Right again. I found the number in the ad to find out if it was you. Then after the Humber man called to report about gassing your chum... I had Pavenny phone you up to fix up a contact. You never intended to keep our date at Hyde Park, huh? Chris asked. Certainly. Only a toad man was watching me at the park, so I had to shoo you off. But how cleverly you turned the tables, Pamela put in admiringly. You had our men trailed back to the house in Hampstead, and then sent a killer to rub out Colonel Buttram. Except he ran into a spot of trouble, I'm afraid. Lady Drakoff snorted. No great loss. We staked out the neighborhood this morning, and you two walked right into our arms. Hold it, Chris interrupted. I'm still waiting to hear about my father. Your old man is a prisoner behind the Iron Curtain. The country that's holding him hired my network to deliver you for a nice, fat hundred thousand dollars. You mean that letter you sent to the Institute was just bait to get me over here? What else? Much safer and simpler to put the snatch on you here than in America. Saves us half the freight charges, let alone cutting down the risk, if you come halfway under your own power. But why? What's the angle? I'm no atomic physicist. Neither is your father for all the good he's doing them. From what I hear, he has nerves like granite. They can't squeeze any atomic secrets out of him and he absolutely refuses to do any research for them. My hunch is that they want you as a hostage to break his will and force him to do what they ask. Chris's mind whirled. If you could have cashed in on me, why'd you wait so long? To get the package for Nikos in the bargain, if possible. It's worth quite a bit more than a hundred Gs. Lady Drakoff let out a harsh bray of laughter. Now I have both you and Colonel Buttram's girl Friday, who will soon tell us all she knows about Toad's mysterious secret formula. Lady Drakoff flicked a tiny switch on her walking stick. A set of long needle-like blades flashed out from the end of the stick and began to rotate at high speed. Otherwise, I may have to tattoo you the same way I tattooed Lustig. 
Pamela went white and shrank back as the blaze moved closer and closer to her face. She started to scream. Simultaneously, there were the sounds of a commotion outside, muffled shots, and the sound of a struggle. Before Lady Drakoff could reach the door, it burst open and she found herself facing Colonel Buttram and a squad of armed toad agents. Drop that nasty little turkey, Carver, you old girl, he warned, unless you fancy a hole in the head. Buttram chuckled as his agent seized her. By the way, thanks so much for taking our bait. I rather thought these two would entice you into showing your hand. There's no trick at all to follow them. Pamela's wired for sound. He ordered his men to round up the Drakoff group. Then Pamela's handcuffs were removed, and she and Chris were taken outside to a closed car. Buttram got in with them and has sped off. Events are moving fast, I'm afraid, he said. What's up? Pamela inquired. Vignelli has been nabbed by British agents. They picked him up soon after he left the house. Apparently they're on the verge of closing in. Oh dear, how did that happen? A tiny bug we discovered too late. Planted by our young friend here, I imagine. Buttram eyed Chris grimly. British Secret Service is ruthlessly efficient when they have to be. If they make me nearly talk, could be disastrous to Toad. I think the time has come to put Plan Z into effect. Chapter 19 Terror Telecast Spice and Geronimo were ushered into Foliot's office. The girl's face looked pale after a nearly sleepless night. Geronimo's lank black hair was uncombed and his jaw was clenched. Please sit down, said Foliot. Sorry, I've had no time to keep you informed, but I've been up all night directing search operations. What about Chris? Spice asked anxiously. Still no words, I'm afraid. Let me go back and review all that's happened. Friday night after you gave us the general area from your radio direction finder, my men moved into Hampstead and began a quiet house-to-house -house check. Quite a sizable area to cover. The transmission from Cool's button bug helped to narrow the search a bit, but his signal was intermittent, not enough to triangulate on. Did you pick up anything useful? Geronimo inquired. No, except we learned that Vignelli was there. Buttram had addressed him by name. Later, one of my agents, who had seen him in Switzerland, spotted him in his car leaving Homestead. Unfortunately, the car was equipped with a radio. By the time we hunted him down, Toad had gotten warning. Geronimo grunted. So they flew the coop then. Every man, Jack. By the time we finally did locate the house late yesterday, they were gone. All their papers were burned. The exit, by the way, was a long underground tunnel. Spice turned to Geronimo. So that's why Chris's signal cut out on Friday night. Any leads yet on where they've gone? Geronimo asked Foliot. None, except that it may be somewhere in Kent near the scene of those monster attacks. Foliot reached for a paper. You know about Toad's ultimatum to the Prime Minister? Geronimo nodded. We heard a radio bulletin. The letter was mailed in London yesterday, stopped, expressed, and marked highly urgent. It reached Downing Street last night. Letters are also sent to the newspapers. Here's a copy. 
Spice and Geronimo both read it. From Chief of British Toad to the Prime Minister and People of England. 1. The nation faces a deadly peril. 2. A videotape is being sent to the British Broadcasting Corporation, which shows the full nature of this peril and what can be done to avoid it. 3. It is suggested that this tape be telecast to the public at 12 noon tomorrow, Sunday. 4. Unless our terms are met within 24 hours after that, Her Majesty's Government will bear the full responsibility for the horrible catastrophe that follows. There was a knock on the door and one of Foliot's aides entered, carrying some Sunday newspapers. Seen any of these yet, Chief? They're all putting out special editions. Foliot took them and glanced at the Black Banner headlines. How about the editorials? All the same, they say the people faced Hitler's worst during the Blitz. They have a right to know what we're up against this time. Therefore, the tape has to be broadcast. Foliot nodded gloomily and started to speak when one of his telephones rang. Foliot here. Yes, sir. That's clearly understood. Very good, sir. He hung up and faced the others. Well, there's the answer. The Home Secretary has just given the BBC permission to run the tape. Foliot looked at his watch. Ten twenty. We've got a little more than an hour and a half to wait. What about a spot of tea for you two? A man brought in a steaming pot on a tray with cups, sugar, cream, and lemon. Spice asked. How was the tape delivered? By messenger to Broadcasting House in Portland Place, Foliot replied. A laddie on a motorbike said some man stopped him on the street and offered him a quid to deliver it. Have you seen it yet? Geronimo put in. Yes, but I won't try to describe it. I would rather wait and let you two form your own reactions. Shortly before noon, a television set was rolled into the office. At the stroke of twelve, a sign was flashed on the screen saying, Ultimatum to the Prime Minister and the British people. A BBC announcer's voice said, As most of you know by now, an urgent message was received last night at number 10 Downing Street. He went on to describe the events leading up to the telecast and ended. For the time being, Her Majesty's government will have no statement to make on the matter. The videotape follows. A picture appeared of a door bearing the sign, Laboratory Area, No Admittance, Except Authorized Toad Personnel. The voice of Colonel Buttram off-screen began. Beyond this door lies one of the most frightful new developments in biological warfare, a form of terror which we in Toad earnestly hope never to need to unleash upon the English people. However, it is only fair that each and every one of you know the full extent of the danger. The door opened and the TV camera dallied into the laboratory. Toad has in his possession a chemical which can cause living creatures of any sort to breed to enormous size. You will now see its effects on certain small pests, which breed with great rapidity. Spice gasped as the camera showed wire mesh cages containing gigantic mosquitoes, wasps, hornets, houseflies, sissy flies, and lice. A lab attendant with hooded face 
stood by to show the relative size of the monsters. Buttram went on talking as the camera showed a huge, ferocious fire ant. Even normal-sized fire ants will attack young birds and sting them to death. I leave you to imagine what a horde of these giant-sized ones might do to a human being. But the worst was yet to come. Enormous rats the size of full-grown hogs. One such rat, Buttram added has already broken loose and is ravaging livestock and endangering human life, as you no doubt have read. He paused. You've seen our weapons? Frightful pests, raining out of control, threatening all forms of life on the British Isles. Now our proposition and our ultimatum. Yesterday, British agents arrested a top-toed executive. Pietro Vignelli. He must be released with a full apology. Furthermore, the British crown jewels must be handed over to Toad in a manner to be described later. Unless this is done within 24 hours, our biological warfare chemical will be dropped into a public sewer. Soon huge rats will be breeding all over London, and the insect pests will multiply even faster. Once the chemical has been released, there can be no defence except utter extermination. An impossible task, as government scientists will affirm. In weeks or months, all of Britain will be overrun by the horrors that you have just seen. Chris stirred woozily on the bunk of his whitewashed cell. The drug which he had been given in his Sunday evening meal was now wearing off. His head ached and his limbs felt heavy. A key grated in the lock and the door of his cell swung open. An armed guard entered, followed by Colonel Buttram and Pamela. "'Well, laddie Buck,' said Buttram, "'the twenty-four-hour deadline is almost up. It appears Her Majesty's government is about to yield.' "'Don't make me laugh,' Chris scoffed. "'But it's quite true,' put in Pamela. "'Remember that little thing you saw me stick on the wall of the Tower of London? It was a bug. Broadcast everything that's said there.' And we just heard them removing the crown jewels to be handed over to Toad. Isn't that simply smashing? Yeah, right. I'm ecstatic, Chris said dryly. Only one flaw in the picture, Buttram added. Your usefulness as a hostage is now over. Sorry, old chap. However, take comfort. We at least have a most interesting fate plan for you. Chris was escorted to a lower level of the Toad base, then along a winding corridor. The group stopped for a metal door which Buttram unlocked. Inside, laddie. As he obeyed, Chris felt Pamela push something into his hand. He didn't pay much attention because his eyes were riveted on the two people he saw standing inside the long, concrete-walled room. Spice and Geronimo! The door slammed, leaving them in darkness. But before either could reply, another door slid open at the far end of the room. In the faint light, the teen agents saw three huge rats as big as mastiffs come scuttling in. The creatures' eyes glittered in the gloom, and their long, curved teeth were like tusks. Then the door from which the rats emerged slid shut. Chris, Spice, and Geronimo were alone in the dark, with the monsters. Chapter 20 The Rat Race 
There was no time for talk. The repulsive beasts were already creeping toward their prey. Chris shuddered at the sounds of their blood-chilling squeaks and the scratchy noise of their claws on the concrete as the monstrous rats came closer. How to fight off the brutes when every possible weapon had been taken away, and no doubt his companions as well. Get behind us, Spice! Chris reached out to pull her behind him and Geronimo. Just then, twin beams of intense, blinding light lanced out through the darkness to be reflected back from the rat's eyes. Momentarily dazzled and frightened, the monsters scuttled off. How did you do that, Spice? Chris gasped. Gimmick earrings. Pomeroy's latest masterpiece? Same principle as the Dazzler beam you used against the motor launch and the Moonfire caper a couple of months back. Luckily, my lobes are pierced so the toad guards didn't bother taking my earrings before they shoved us in here. Watch it, Geronimo warned. Two, three, four moments of panting suspense. Then the monstrous rats were squeaking again, their claws creeping closer as they gathered courage to renew the attack. Again, the twin beams of light flashed out, and Geronimo cut loose with a blood-curdling Apache war whoop. Once more, the rats retreated, but the teenagers knew it was only a temporary respite. The power cells in my earrings are only good for four flashes, Spice murmured tensely, and I've already used up two. Chris's palms were moist with perspiration. Suddenly, he remembered the object which Pamela had pressed into his hand just before he was prodded into the room. He was still clutching it. The thing felt like a ring. A ring? Uh-oh. Chris's brain began clicking as coolly as ever. He'd been forgetting all sorts of things, a result of the drugs that had been injected to keep him quiet after being brought here to the toad base from Lady Drakoff's lair and flung into a cell. And he'd forgotten the most important thing of all, the pillbox bomb that Buttram had taped to his chest yesterday morning. The ring may be a radio transmitter that Pamela carried for triggering the bomb, Chris realized. She had slipped it to him out of pity, no doubt. He could blow himself up quickly instead of letting those saber-toothed horrors do the job. The beasts, once again, were slowly crawling closer. Another Apache yell from Geronimo split the darkness, and Spice flashed her earring lights for a third time. As the rat scuttled off again, Chris was already tearing open his shirt. He ripped away the tape. Holy one more flash left, Spice warned in a shaky voice. Go ahead, use it when you have to, Chris said. We'll need free space around the door. As he spoke, he taped the pillbox bomb to the door lock with a desperate speed. Spice's earrings fired their last brilliant flash, which fizzled quickly as the power cells gave out. But, coupled with Geronimo's war whoop, the effect was startling enough to drive the rats into one last temporary retreat. Okay, stand away from the door, Chris yelled. Hoping he guessed right, he tried to rotate the stone of Pamela's ring. Nothing. Chris pressed the stone inward. Kaboom! The bomb exploded and the door burst open, sagging on its hinges. Come on, Chris yelled. He pushed Spice and Geronimo outside then dashed after them. The rats retreated, frightened afresh by the sharp report of the blast, but they would sally out soon. 
Chris glanced back as the three teen agents raced down the corridor. Here they come. The first of the huge rats was already darting out of the concrete room. The sight of his furry bulk, claw-like feet, and twitching tail sent a shudder through Chris, and the other two monsters were pressing close behind. Seeing their prey about to escape galvanized the rats into action. They lunged in savage pursuit, covering ground at alarming speed. The agents heard footsteps coming toward them from somewhere ahead along the winding corridor. Toad guards, Spice gasped. They must be coming to investigate the explosion. This way, Geronimo tugged her arm and swerved aside into a branching corridor on their right. Chris stayed on their heels but turned his head to glimpse the main corridor behind them. The toad guards headed by Colonel Buttram burst into sight. Then the group skidded to a halt. Their faces reflected terror as the huge rats leapt to attack. Guns fired wildly amid the screams of the toad men. By now the teen agents had reached a spiral iron stairway. Spice darted up it, followed by Geronimo and Chris. Shots and moans were still echoing through the corridors below. Just across from the top of the stairwell was an office. A uniformed guard rose from his desk, eyes popping in surprise as the three young Americans came rushing in. Spice grabbed the plaster figure of a toad off the top of a file cabinet and hurled it at the guard. The man ducked and tried to yank out his gun. Before the weapon could clear its holster, Geronimo had leapt over the desk and leveled him with one blow. Chris locked the door. No one in sight yet. Spice, meanwhile, had scooped a telephone off the desk and was dialing. I'm calling Foliot, she told Chris tersely. She gave a rapid-fire report of the situation and the location of the toad base, then hung up. Geronimo hoisted a window sash. Outside, he barked. Spice climbed out fast and the boys followed as footsteps pounded on the corridor. Someone rattled the doorknob and the butt of a carbine splintered the door. But the teen agents were already scurrying through the shrubbery that bordered the brick mansion. Panting, the trio paused. Better keep on the move. They'll have dogs after us soon. And the fence is electrified, Spice added. Chris nodded. I know. I saw it when they brought me in. As they zigzagged among the trees and heavy underbrush, he added. How did you two get caught anyway? We came out from London with a big force of police and soldiers, Geronimo explained. Folius fanning them out all over Kent, trying to locate the toad setup. I was whipping around in a motorcycle with Spice in the sidecar when we spotted Pamela in her red gear. We chased her up a wooded lane, Spice went on, and ran into the hands of Toad. Through the underbrush and foliage, they caught glimpses of armed guards rushing around the grounds. One guard ran toward the house with a brace of Great Danes on a leash. Not good. Things could get nasty, Geronimo muttered. A faint chop-chopping noise drew their attention skyward. A transport helicopter was coming. Paratroopers! Spice squealed, then clapped a hand over her mouth in dismay as a guard turned up the sound. He yelled and started to run in their direction, but he froze as the chopper drew overhead. Moments later, white parachutes blossomed in the air. The battle that followed was short but lively. 
Shots were still being exchanged as armored cars converged on the Toad estate. When it was all over, Chris, Spice, and Geronimo sat in the Toad office, listening to Foliot's account of the mop-up. Quite a hole, he told them with grim satisfaction. Mutram and his top British Toad staff and most of their key agents. Plus enough names and addresses to run down the others, including Nikos and his operation in the States. Also, Lady Dirakoff and most of her network boys. They were imprisoned in cells down below. What about the rats and the other assorted monsters? Chris asked. They're all under control, and a squad of soldiers dropped and killed the rat that was loose, by the way. We also have the Z-Factor chemical. Part of it will be sent to your chops in Washington for analysis. Did you really intend to hand over the crown jewels? Chris inquired. Fully shrugged. Who knows? We found their bug in the tower and let them think so, in the hopes of buying more time. Time? Spice echoed. You almost got us fed to the rats, because Butchard thought you were ready to knuckle under. Foliot gave a sigh of relief. Well, it didn't happen. However, these little hazards do arise when one is working for the Department of Danger. The End we hope you've enjoyed this Ubula audio presentation of the Department of Danger by Jim Lawrence, a.k.a. Jack Lancer. The opening and closing themes were obviously both the classic rock song Secret Agent Man, composed by Steve Barry and P.F. Sloan, and popularized by Johnny Rivers. The opening song was sung appropriately by the Japanese rock band Secret Agent Man. The closing version of Secret Agent Man was the Hal Leonard arrangement, which I think is mostly used for marching bands. That version was played by the Discovery Plus concert band. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com. You can also become a Facebook fan of Uvula Audio. Just do a search for Uvula Audio on Facebook, or you can do it from the main Uvula webpage. As usual, check out our Cafe Press website for t-shirts, etc. For other Uvila Audio titles, please go to our website on www.uvilaonia.com. We are listed on iTunes, and you can subscribe and download our podcasts for free from there. If you like our podcast, please feel free to tip us whatever amount you may like using the secure PayPal links at uvilaaudio.com. From all of us at Uvila Audio, we thank you. <laughs>